Welcome to the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast. I'm Sarah Hill, Associate Editor. This episode of the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast Series is brought to you by GS3 Quality Seed, the distributor of high-quality, trusted cover crop seed brands like Nitro Radish, KB Annual Ryegrass, Super B Facelia, and TNT Vetch. You can learn more about these cover crops and numerous other species at tiltpro.com, as well as find the seed dealer nearest you. That's tiltpro.com. Today, I'd like to introduce Miranda Meehan, a Livestock Environmental Stewardship Specialist with North Dakota State University Extension. Miranda will be discussing grazing cover crops. Welcome to the podcast, Miranda. Thank you, I'm happy to be here. To get us started, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, so I have been the Livestock Environmental Stewardship Specialist with NDUS Extension for six years now. Um, I have an undergraduate degree and master's degree in range science, and my PhD is in natural resource management. In my concurrent position, um, I look at livestock and environmental interactions. Um, A lot of what we've been focusing on recently due to producer interest is grazing cover crops. Fantastic. So let's go ahead and, and get started. Um, With the dry conditions that growers have been experiencing so far this year, how much uh, is forage production looking like it's going to be down? Yeah, so forage production is pretty much set in terms of our perennial grasslands, and it really varies across the state depending where you're at. Um, In the hardest hit areas of North Dakota that are in the exceptional or D4 drought, it's 25% of normal at best. Um, The most common reports I'm hearing across the state is 50% of normal production on those. Uh, We're starting to see some numbers in terms of our cover crops from some of the research we're doing. And those are around 40% of what we've seen in terms of production compared to last year. In terms of our hay production, that's very similar to our our, our rangeland, our pasture production, um, just because the, the, they grow at the same time as our native rangeland plants, I'm a little earlier, so they were impacted similarly. Ouch, that's sounding pretty serious. Uh, um, why... With, with that in mind, why have some... Ex- areas experienced maybe excess grazing pressure or is uh, are these weather conditions impacting um, that grazing pressure that growers may have? Definitely. Um, so when we look at the drought here that we're experiencing, it, exper- it started in many areas last fall. Um, And so we actually seen some areas that received some overgrazing last fall, especially when we looked at how warm and mild our winter was that people grazed a little longer. And some of our our pastures, rangelands got hit a little harder then. And we didn't have any moisture to replenish like we normally have over that winter. And in in the spring, we've been very um, extreme deficits that we've been facing. And so even though producers have been, they've been cutting numbers. I and mean, we've seen a lot, of, a lot of cows leaving the state, especially 
in June, July. Um, and I know a lot of, an, of producers are looking at further calling and cutting additional numbers, but those are difficult decisions to make, especially if we don't have a plan in place and you know, trying to keep those animals for as long as we can. And so that results in some additional grazing pressure on our on our grazing resources, whether that's pasture, our native rangeland, our cover crops, whatever we may be grazing. So are you seeing a decline in forage quality? So for example, um, maybe if someone had interceded cover crops, um, intending to use it for grazing later in the the season, what, what is the quality of those cover crops looking like? Um, and cover crops, we're just, um, for that late season grazing, we're just starting to see some of that um, where people are making those decisions. Honestly, quality isn't the big concern right now. It's toxicity issues. Um, so we've had some some samples from projects that have come back and they're safe, completely safe, but we've had other samples, you know, some of those nitrate accumulating plants, um, our oats, our brassicas that have been high in, in nitrates. And so making the decision, is it a high enough level at that, is it too high for us to utilize safely for those animals? Um, and what are our options for for that, that's really a bigger question right now, um, in terms of those fall cover those cover crops for fall grazing. Um, we won't really see that decline in quality until we have a frost. Which with with drought, we tend to have an early frost. Um, so we're going to see we might see an earlier decline in quality of our cover crops for grazing. Okay, so kind of backtracking here a little bit. Walk me through how that works with having a drought conditions or dry conditions, and then that resulting in toxicity of the plants with nitrates. How does that work? Yeah, so when we when those plants are drought stressed, it impacts the way that they take up um, nitrates or and transfer that in the plant, um, and. It really depends. A big factor that we're, we're, we need to consider is the management history of that piece of land. Um, so some of them that we had that came back uh, within the safe zone, they haven't been fertilized. They're applied on that land for some time because they're commonly used for grazing cover crops. And so that's one of the factors that how is this, what's the past management history of that piece of land? Um, also landscape position. Um, the more drought stress, the higher risk. But then also if you're in a lower area and you actually receive some, some rain, that facilitates the uptake of, of that nitrogen within to, into that plant and actually may increase the potential for nitrates. Um, also, we need to be aware of how animals graze those plants and where, where those nitrates accumulate within the plant. Um, and nitrates tend to accumulate in stalks in the lower portions of the plants. And so it may be safe to utilize some of these things if we're managing properly um, as we're grazing them. And one of those is if we have maybe a corn in, in the mix or if we're, we're grazing, thinking about grazing failed corn, if it's accumulating in the stalks and we remove those animals before they start consuming the stalks because they will select leaves before they select stalks, 
we might be safe. And also if they, we know that there's a larger accumulation lower in the plant. So if we don't graze at a highest intensity, so the plants aren't, the animals aren't consuming that lower portion of the plant, we may be safe as well. Um, it's really, you know, testing the plant, testing those plants, testing different plant parts and knowing where those nitrates are in your field so that you can manage appropriately. So let's play the what if game here for a second. Um, say that the rain starts tomorrow and into the fall, it's pretty wet uh, on a significant level. Mm -hmm. If we were to get more precipitation, could cattle producers expect to see any changes in forage production? In terms of on our cover crops? On some species, yes. yes. Yep, depends what species we have in there. Um, obviously our cool season species, probably not. Um, if we have a cool, um, your oats and things like that that are in the mix, that once they're mature, you're not gonna see that additional growth. But um, if you have a sorghum sedan in there or your millets, you'll see additional growth on those as well as some of our brassicas. Um, so really it's gonna depend on species selection um, and what's in there. And obviously we, you know, we still have the opportunity to plant a winter cereal, winter annual. And so if we have some hope, have some rain in the next few weeks, we might be able to get some good growth on those. Well, let's hope those storm clouds start brewing. So um, you mentioned earlier when you were talking about toxicity um, that stalks and some of the lower parts of the plant tend to be where that toxicity shows up. Typically, growers and cattle producers see that when uh, fields are overgrazed is when maybe some of the, those toxicity issues start happening. How can growers go about preventing overgrazing and, and follow that proper management of grazing cover crops like you were talking about? Yeah. Okay. So it's really going out and determining what you have for forage production and estimating your carrying capacity appropriately. Um, we have some tools. We have an app called the NDSU Grazing Calculator that can help you through that process, as well as your extension agents are, um, can help you with those calculations. But unfortunately, we don't have good growth curves and moisture curves established for cover crops. That's some research we're, we're working on currently. So hopefully in the future, we'll have, have those. But you'll have to you have to clip it um, across the the pasture we want or the field we want to have a representative sample, dry it completely down, which can take some time depending on what species you have available, and then we weigh that. That's our complete forage availability. Um, a lot of times in cover crop systems, we graze them a little heavier, um, especially a lot if depending on your goals. But if you're a livestock producer and you're trying to get as much forage and production out of that and feed, we'll graze it a little heavier. This year, I wouldn't do that because um, we, um, with that increased risk for toxicity. So if we think about a take half, leave half, that's a 35% harvest efficiency. So that's using 35% of the available forage. So we would take our, our forage production times that 35%, and that's gonna give us our carrying capacity, which then we're gonna balance with our stocking our stocking rates, so the number of animals we have out there, the size of those animals, and how long they're grazing. That calculator has a stocking rate component and a carry capacity 
components. So you can calculate both of them and compare to make sure that we're not overgrazing. Another way is just watching those animals closely. When you see they're getting to that point that they're starting to, they might be starting to graze the lower parts of those plants, you know, get them out of that, out of that field, that pasture. It's a little harder to manage when we have a cocktail because they're going to select for things you like. And one of the things they're going to select for is brassicas. And those are a nitrate accumulator. And so being aware of how those animals utilize those different cover crops within the mix is important as well. Definitely. So other than obviously toxicity and and watching for that, what are some of the other long-term impacts of maybe overgrazing some of those cover crop fields? Honestly, in the Northern Great Plains, there might, we don't know, we don't have the data. Um, you know, people say it might in, it, that there's concerns about how it impacts soil organic matter and some of our other soil properties. But the research, research that's been conducted to date doesn't show any significant differences between our grazing utilization and those soil per health parameters. Um, we're, we're looking at that further with additional research and maybe we'll find something else out as we move forward. But currently there's really no evidence of, of it impacting those parameters. Another concern we hear a lot is compaction, but um, if we're fall grazing those cover crops, we really should have no concern for compaction in Northern Great Plains because of our freeze thaw cycle. It breaks up that compaction before we go back in and put another crop in that next spring. We'll be right back to the podcast, but first I want to thank our sponsor, GS3 Quality Seed, the distributor of high quality, trusted cover crop seed brands like Nitro Radish, KB Annual Ryegrass, Super Bee Facelia, and TNT Vetch. You can learn more about these cover crops and numerous other species at tiltpro.com, as well as find the seed dealer nearest you. That's tiltpro.com. And now back to the podcast. So for example, if a a grower plants cover crops now or, or after harvest, and they go about grazing that that cover crop later in the season, but before that cover crop reaches its readiness level, how does that grazing a field before it reaches that readiness, how does that affect, uh, you know, what you were talking about, the stocking rate and, you know, determining how many animals can be in a a pasture? Mm -hmm. Um, So this is another question we don't have a lot of answers to from the Northern Great Plains. Um, We don't, there's a few people that do it, but it's not common for somebody to plant, go in after harvest, establish a cover crop. Um, and we're right now, really, we're only, we're only looking at those winter cereals. Um, we don't really have enough time to get a, a good establishment done anything else. Just because of our growing season, we typically don't see a lot of people fall grazing a cover crop and then, and then grazing it again, like we see in other places. Obviously, the concern if you are grazing it, if you do get well enough, good enough, establish it to graze this fall and graze again in the spring, um, there's going to be concerns about how it overwinters. Are you going to have some die off and 
reduce stand in the spring because of the grazing pressure in the fall. We don't have good answers for that in the Northern Great Plains because that research just hasn't, it hasn't been done yet. And we don't have a lot of producers that do this. I know there's a few that have tried and it, it, the reports vary widely. Um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, so we really need some more information on that. But anytime we graze a plant before it's ready to be grazed, it stresses that plant out. It reduces the leaf tissue area. So it reduces its ability to complete photosynthesis and um, have the energy it needs to grow. And so it's gonna reduce production in the long run. Okay, so then also if uh, a, an animal consumes that forage before it's actually ready, how might that impact that animal's performance then in growth and weight gain? Honestly, it shouldn't impact the animal unless they run out of forage because at that early, the earlier the plant is and when it's in the vegetative stage is when it's more nutritious for livestock. Um, once we start getting, they plants start maturing and they get more stock, they have more lignin and makes them more, less digestible. And also, and so the more mature they get, the less digestible they are, um, poorer quality. And so in terms of livestock production, unless we're running out of available feed for them, the animals will actually do quite well. Okay. Okay. Good to know. So now how can ranchers go about uh, maybe planning to grow more cover crops or annual forages for hay or, or grazing at this point in the growing season? Is there any solutions or anything they can do to make sure that they have enough forage to make it through the winter? To make it through the winter, uh, probably not or at this point in time. We're, they're really the only solution to make it through the winter is looking at per, doing a feed inventory, um, looking at what you have for failed crops that you might be able, that you may be able to harvest as forage. Um, but as far as establishing a cover crop or an annual forage at this point in time, we're really that we could use yet this fall or winter, we don't have enough time to do that. Um, what we can be thinking about is looking more long-term. Can we get a winter annual established that we can graze in the spring when we and reduce pressure on our pastures, let them recover from overgrazing that they experienced this growing season? And, our, and maybe we can get some hay to help replenish our depleted forage store, storage or depleted forage inventory the next for for next year. Um, also, I think we just want to think about strategizing and long term. Um, how can we overall in, incorporate cover crops into our operation? Whether it's that winter annual that we can use in the spring, or is it a full season cover crop that we have a better chance of having something established because um, we can get it in early and we can have a diversity of species, increasing the the potential for something to establish. Um, and knowing, are we going to use hay? Are we going to hay it? Are we going to graze it? Because um, that's going to impact how it fits into our rotation and what species we would select as well. Well, that actually leads me to my next question, which um, you mentioned brassicas earlier. Um, but what cover crop species are best suited for 
grazing cattle and, and giving them the nutrition they need? There, there's so many options um, and there's more and more options. Um, we have a really great publication that is called um, Annual Cover Crop Options for Grazing and Haying in the Northern Plains. And it, it steps through a lot of different options depending on your goals, because that's really going to influence what we select. Um, so we have our winter annuals. If we're going to graze those winter annuals in the springs, we're going to look at a, a rye or a triticale. But if we're haying, we might want to look at a winter a winter wheat option because they mature a little slower. So we actually have some more time to get out there and hay it and still have a good quality feed when we harvest. Uh, when we look at season long cover crop or a mix that we want to graze in the fall, we really recommend a diversity of species um, just because that reduces the risk of having something established if we don't get depending on when we get the precipitation, we need to get that growing. Um, in that, we usually recommend a cool season grass species, whether that's um, our cool season cereal, whether that's oats or forage bar barley, those tend to be the most common. Um, some legumes, uh, field peas, when we, we tend to recommend just because of the costs of that and the ability to get that established compared to some of the other options. Um, our warm season, whether that's a sorghum sedan, a millet, maybe it's both brassicas. So we like to do things like flax and sunflowers. So there's a lot of different options depending on the goals of the producer, um, when they're able to get things in, when they plan on utilizing it, and if they're utilizing it as a hay versus if they're grazing it, or maybe they're planning on doing both. So now how early should some of those cover crop species be planted in order for growers to get the maximum grazing benefits from them? When we talk about the winter annuals, we still have plenty of time. Um, we don't usually wanna plant them after mid-September, but if we can get them in anywhere from now, you know, after we get our weed off until in those first few, the first week or so in September, we have a good chance for that to get established well. Our a season long cover crop, you know, we had ours that went in in late May did really well this year because they were able to capitalize on precipitation. We had some last year we put things in in June and they did fine. Um, so it's really going to depend on timing of rain and um, and when you and in that establishment uh, and to get things germinated. And we know with the warm seasons we really don't want to put them in past that that last week in July first week in August. We just don't have enough time to get good at growth on them to make it worth worth that investment in them before we have a freeze in the fall. Marisol Birdie has some really good has some really good data that shows the differences in growth between that late July planting date and then one that's I think it's mid-August. And it's it's a very dramatic difference between just a, a two-week window there. So now kind of looking at the economic side of grazing livestock on cover crops, how does the practice of grazing covers, how does that create a savings for the grower and or livestock producer? I think the immediate is that you actually get a return on putting a cover crop in that's tangible because you have, there's a value to that feed. Um, we right now we don't have a way to value those soil health benefits, and so sometimes it's hard to, for producers to justify the cost of those inputs 
even though they see those soil health benefits, there's not a value, a dollar that goes with it. But if we have livestock, we're seeing that savings in feed, um, that that longer growing season or grazing season. And so those are really easy benefits to see from grazing cover crops. Um, we don't have a lot of data on it yet, but we know that there is potential for um, reductions of inputs of, of fertilizers. And so that's another thing we need to consider as well. Okay. Um, so where can our listeners go for more information about grazing cover crops? So some great, one of them is the soil, the NESU soil health page. Um, Abby Wick has a lot of information we've worked with and her to get with her to get those up there. Um, there's a lot of videos that we've done over the past couple of years that are related to grazing cover crops. Um, again, that publication I mentioned um, cover crop or options for haying and grazing in the Northern Plains is another really good resource. And always, you can always um, reach out to your local extension agent. Very good. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for joining us, Miranda. Thank you for having me. Once again, I want to thank our sponsor, GS3 Quality Seed, the distributor of high quality, trusted cover crop seed brands. You can learn more about these cover crops and numerous other species at tiltpro.com as well as find the seed dealer nearest you. For more information about all things cover crops, visit us online at covercropstrategies.com.